Hey team, welcome to episode three of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Uh, Charles and Christy here. Today, we're going to talk about the art of the interview. Um, Last time we talked about how to find the opportunity, and obviously the next step is, well, how do I keep it and how do I I make it happen? Um, Some pretty basic interview skills that we feel like can really work for interviewing with a potential seller or a potential buyer and just really in life. So um, this is a topic where there's tons of books out there about how to nail an interview, what to say, what to wear, what to not to wear, what not to say. Um, And Charles, I know you'll agree with me. We get questions all the time. All the time. It's the, it's that first question of a phone call of a, I have a, I have a meeting tomorrow and I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say and hello. And so we spend a lot of our time coaching. And so that's what we're going to spend our time the next 10, 15, 20 minutes talking about. But before we get going, Good to see you, Charles. What is going on in Charles' world? Charles' world this week. <laughs> the new wifey is moving in this Woo-hoo. weekend. Yes. And uh, Cole turned 18. So the giant, the Crazy. six foot six giant is uh, 18 years old. Um, he got his first speeding ticket. Mm. Uh, Bella's on a break this week. One week out of, I think, 52 where she's not in sports. And so <laughs> I'm not really sure what we're going to do this week. But, a whole uh, lot of nothing. Yes. <laughs> What about you? What's happening at Christie World? I actually had a great interview yesterday. I went to my child's 30-month doctor's appointment. Like, that should not be a thing, right? 30 months. Um, So I got interviewed about... If she's if she can pass that object from hand to hand, and can she follow a direction, and she can she go upstairs one foot at a time or two feet at a time? So I have to tell you, I actually interviewed my thirty month old in the appointment to say, Bryn, can you repeat after me? Yep, she can do that. It's, it's so funny when you have your own kids, like, and they have these standards. You know, can they go up the stairs or not? And you feel like a failure that your child is behind. Oh, there were some questions, and I was like, mm, I'm not sure if she can do that, and uh, I feel bad. <laughs> that I haven't paid attention. So um, my own interview yesterday happened. So anyway, let's get going. um, Obviously, you know, I think before we start with kind of what to do and what not to do, you know, kind of the word we throw out there of of what's kind of the goal of the meeting. What do you think? So look, when you talk about purpose, I think if you're a, a D1, a D3, uh, a pediatric uh, resident, ortho, I mean, there's any purpose. But let me just tell it in a story. So uh, this week, I've got an established doctor I'm coaching, and uh, his goal originally was to transition his practice in three years. He's got a hometown boy that literally lives down the street. and But his financial advisor has now said, well, it may take six years based on your finances. And so I'm coaching with the young, the the other doctor, the doctor that was now going to come back. He's a hometown boy. And what his purpose is? Well, his purpose is to come in the practice in two years. And he's already producing these crazy numbers. He's only six months out. He's doing around 70,000 of clinical. So he's just a machine. Um, but he wants, he and his wife want to come back to, uh, to this area. And so the point of this is, the senior doctor has to have a purpose. In other words, if it's a two or three or four year period, we've got to have a game plan of exactly how this is going to work. And for this young doctor, they have to have a purpose. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to work two years. I'm going to build some cash and then I'm going to go there. And is this practice is going to support me, how it's going to work, how the partnership is going to work. Uh, throughout this this episode, we'll talk about you know some of the details, but I just go back to that purpose of what is it you're really trying to, to accomplish and 
kind of back in back into those timelines. Almost like you kind of have to have your story in place and your purpose in place before you can really even ever dive into an interview. Like, do you have your house in order type of a thing? Absolutely. Abs- okay, yeah, I get that. And I think that that sometimes when we have our calls and we have our, a client or a potential client who kind of seems like they just don't know which direction to go, oftentimes that's what's wrong, right? Like they haven't figured out for sure, what is my goal? What is my purpose? Like, why am I doing this? Because I think once you figure out kind of what your why is, then the rest can kind of fall into place. Well, so these, think about these senior doctors. They've done this for 30, 40 years. And so there's unsure of where they're going. And then you've got the young person without any business training and then they're just nervous how this whole process is, is going to go. And so you really have to spend some time with, in this case, both of them mm-hmm. to figure out uh, what that looks like and does it match up and then put the game plan together. Yeah. And I think that goes into what we say all the time, which is like, first things first, like, do you like and love the doctor? Do you like and love the location? And is this the practice that you kind of want to go into? And is this the area you want to go into? And do you feel yourself being here? In that case, I mean, Christy, these these two guys, I mean, they, it's exactly it. He Obviously, this guy likes and loves his area because that's where he's practicing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been married. He's been here for, for, for 30 years. And, and this guy's a hometown boy. They like and love each other. Mm-hmm. Like, they literally know and trust each other. But now... There just needs to be a plan of how to make that happen. Absolutely. Well, okay, so let's think about this. So if we're kind of breaking it down on kind of a first things first, kind of what not to do, what to do, let's kind of talk first off, we got to have a goal of what our meeting is, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a definite difference between a first and second interview, and I'm going to ask you some questions about that. But, you know, for me, what I tell people first off is when you – talk to someone for the first time, maybe you're just on the phone or maybe you're actually going to their office um, or the buyer's coming to you. I think that there's a feeling that this is a good place for you, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I can only connect this because I've never bought a practice, but I can connect this to a house, right? right? I've looked at a lot of houses in my life and a house can be great. It can be have all the bells and whistles. It can be in a good area, a good neighborhood, and I walk into it and it just doesn't feel sure. like my house, right? So I think that there's also, you know, area and your parents or your, your spouse and all of those pieces, but there's also a level of gut that you kind of have to trust and sure. is this this where I want to be. Um, once you kind of have that, right, you've either narrowed that down or you've walked into it or you know, you've known the seller for a long time. The second piece is kind of like, okay, I have to have that first kind of formal interview or at least that first discussion. Maybe it's not interviewist, but it's, Hey, we're going to meet for coffee and we're going to talk about, do our goals align? And do I want, you know, we're going to talk about the transition for the first time. Um, what's different about a first and a second interview? And let's talk about each of those. Cause I feel like there's a distinct difference between those two meetings kind of yeah. the first and second time on that first interview. It's all about them. Okay. It, it, it's uh, it is all about them. So what you're doing is sometimes uh, the best interviewee turns into the interviewer. And so you're basically flipping the role Everyone loves to talk about themselves. Everyone yes, loves to talk do. about their kids. You know, mm-hmm. every week we're talking about yep. our kids and something's going on. So we love our kids. And so you've got to spin it back around on them. And you've got to ask them about their life. you got to ask them about their clinical training. you got to ask them about their staff. you got to ask them about the community. It's all about them. You're mm-hmm. getting them to open up. And uh, what I think is funny is you can get them to talk about 90% of the time and they walk away and they really don't know anything about you, you know, <laughs> but they, they absolutely like, I love, I love Charles, you know, I love, I loved Christie. It's like, well, what'd you love about him? 
I don't know. There's just a connection we had between us. <laughs> or maybe it's also that they, uh, I would think this would be a good scenario too. Like you're talking with them and you keep asking questions and they ask questions back and it's yep. like a true dialogue. I mean, I think that would be a really good thing too. Cause then you're saying, okay, I'm trying to make them talk only about Absolutely. them and they keep asking about me. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that you can get, you can learn a lot about someone in just kind of those simple questions. And, and just during that interview, what you're doing is you're gathering what's important to them. You're trying mm-hmm. to figure out if that is what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And then certainly uh, during those conversations and kind of follow up, you're interwining those things back into your conversation multiple times, mm-hmm. you know, over and over. So it reminds me of a, a friend of mine, uh, Mike Sonic. Mike uh, is the king of the interview. You know, he's just, he, he will ask you a million questions. And then uh, sometimes I'm like, I don't think I know enough about Mike, but I love Mike. You know, I want to do business with Mike. There are definitely charismatic people in that just kind of have that pull about them and can do that really well. So we we should learn from them. Um, Okay, so you've had the first meeting. What about the second meeting? Like, how is that different? Because obviously you've talked and you know, you know, you've asked all the questions and you know, like what's left? Like, what do we talk about at the second meeting? Right. So the second meeting, you're really it's it's more of these. uh, We've got kind of recapping our first meeting, and then you're asking. Asking things like uh, some things about the practice. So you would never say, hey, give me your financials. Yeah. Right? It's just the wording of it. Say, hey, you know, I, uh, whatever. Christy, I really appreciated our first interview um, and the time you spent with me, the coffee that you bought uh, for me. Um, you know, when do you think it'd be appropriate that maybe you can share the financials you know, yep. of, of, of the practice? Yeah. And I think there's definitely an art of that. So we're going to talk a lot about that in our next piece because we get a lot of questions about that. Um, and some people aren't even comfortable, like literally saying the words you just said. We have a lot of practice there. So, so I, I think that's important and we're going to spend a lot of time there, but there are a lot of things you can gather about a practice without yeah. necessarily saying the word financials, right? That's right. And so like, for example, like an orthodontic practice, um, you could say things like, well, Hey, how many starts, you know, are you doing? Well, average start between phase one and phase two is roughly about five grand. So someone can just casually say, I do about 300 starts, pretty much it's going to be a $1.5 million practice. You could look on the website. You could see that they have two full-time hygienists. General rule, each hygienist is going to be doing between 150 to 200,000 collections. Take that number times two, all of a sudden you know they're doing 300, 400 of hygiene. General rule is hygiene does about 25% 25% of the overall practice. Just from having two full-time hygienists that work four days a week, you can almost back into the math and know it's a million-dollar practice. So I'm playing Nancy Drew. Yes. Context yeah. clues. Exactly. Without asking any questions. Uh, you know, you, you go inside the office, like you can it. look. Is it a three-chair practice only? Uh, there is a chance this could be a very big practice, but for the most part, you're probably limited because most dentists are kind of limited on the production per chair, maybe 200, 250, 275, maybe even 300, but it's very rare you're going to see a three-chair practice that's doing, you know, north of a million dollars, and all of a sudden this guy wants to do a partnership with you. There's there's things like these clues that are there. You just have to know uh, what to look for, and I think what I like about what we do and what our team does, Christy, is, is not only educating through, um, you know, episodes like this today or, you know, when we're lecturing you know, at state and national meetings or, or schools or whatever it may be, but it's um, it's teaching them these little things and then spending some one-on-one time with them. Kind of when we do these little coaching calls mm-hmm. that we do, um, you know, with with this group. So lots of ways to look at this. 
the key to is you don't want to push this relationship too fast. Build a relationship with them and then ask for financials in a nice, kind way. Even let them know, hey, you have a transition uh, advisor. Uh, maybe you're working with a dental CPA. Maybe blame it on Christy and I that <laughs> that you you learned this. That, you know, you were taught uh, that you should ask for the financials. And so just make sure you're asking in a nice, kind way. And, and when do you think it might be appropriate? And you've got a, maybe a CPA team that focuses on dentistry that's, that you're going to you know, kind of uh, uh, be working with and they've kind of guided you to ask for some of these financials. And so when do you think that timing might be appropriate? So it's just how you present this case is really, really important. Absolutely. Okay. So there are definitely things you do not want to do at any point in an interview, probably at any point in the process, right? right? Like regardless of how many times you've met this person, financials are not um, and, and so I'm going to kind of go over some of those that I know and feel free to chime in, but okay. obviously first things first, like no one really wants to hear you talk about yourself all the time, right? Like the me, 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 uh, of the worlds do not do well in interview process because let me just share a little bit. If you don't already know this, um, most selling doctors already think that most young buying doctors are, I'll use the word entitled, that's probably not right, but are already, you know, thinking they know more or they're entitled or they, um, they don't need someone to mentor them, which is not true, right? Most of at least the people we work with, and, and and I think a large percentage of the population, um, that's not true at all. It's this preconceived notion that shouldn't be there. And so if you go into an interview and all you talk about is yourself and things that you want to change and ways you want to practice right. differently, um, you kind of just get like this, that's cute, right. you know, that right. cute look and that kind of dismissive look. So we, we want to try to not do that piece of it. Um, again, as a buyer, you're coming in and the first thing on your mind is like, I've got all this debt and I'm nervous about the numbers. And so I want to know how much is this practice and how much do you collect and what is your overhead and what is your bottom line number and and how much do you take home and how much do you pay yourself? Um, all of those questions feel really too personal and too kind of into the details, especially in those first few meetings. And so again, we'll talk about how to ask those questions, but those tend to rub people the wrong way, especially like a tax return, right? For whatever reason, giving someone a tax return is like... Invasive. Totally invasive, Um, even though it's necessary at some point in the process. And so I would not ask those questions, and we'll talk about how to ask those questions. Um, And we want to be careful. This person, the seller, has like basically probably built this practice from the ground up, right? Right. They have blood, sweat, and tears have gone into this. They probably know that things aren't as efficient as they could be. They know where the weaknesses are in their practice, but please don't point them out, right? If you're there and you see something wrong, um, don't be critical, right? right? Be gracious and say, everything looks great. And I am, you know, this is a solid practice and it's so stable because pointing out the inefficiencies or being critical of how they're doing things or they're not digital yet or they're still using paper charts, like whatever those things are, um, aren't going to go over really well. Yeah, and this may seem like duh, but you know the reality is like you're walking to someone's house. Um, just have respect when you're walking in, and even if you do see that it's got the shag carpet from the '70s and it's just outdated, um, you you find the positives. You know, yeah. it's working. Looks like it's good working equipment. You know, and looks like 
um, you know, things are very functional and obviously this works great for you. And so uh, you're working on, on, on the compliments uh, that, that you can give back. And I want to say, you know, I've done this for almost two decades now, and I can't tell you how many of the established doctors that we work with on a consulting side that uh, we know their interview is, you know, coming up. And uh, with the maybe a D4 resident or maybe somebody who's been out a couple of years and we ask them, how'd it go? And it's like, oh, my God, self-centered, me, 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 me. So it's it's these stories that w- what we're trying to do with these, you know, couple of decades of, re- uh, of relationships with you is just making sure you know how to absolutely nail uh, those first, second, and third uh, interviews, and basically, you know, what we're talking about here is what what not to say. We talked about some of the things to say, but just making sure that you understand there is a time and place for gathering financials and a time and place of maybe updating equipment or changing marketing yeah, strategy. Absolutely, it's when you're in an owner. Yeah, <laughs> and I think one more thing that I want to point out is I think you need to be really honest. Um, obviously you can do that in a tactful way, but I think one of the biggest mistakes you can probably make is getting in the heat of the moment of the conversation and maybe saying he or she selling doctor says, Hey, I want to stay around for two years. And you're like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. When you have no intention of ever doing that. Right? Like you will look like you were probably unintentionally deceitful by maybe lying to yourself or lying about something just kind of to make the process easier. If you never want to be a partner, don't talk to people who want a partnership, right? Because you're going to go down a road, hopes it's a very emotional process. So just be honest with yourself. And again, that goes back to kind of understanding what your purpose is and why you're, why you're doing this, understand the type and, and of relationship and transition and practice you want so that when those questions come up, you can be honest. And I think honesty is very, uh, valuable. And I think that sellers and buyers both, um, you know, you guys value those things when going through this process. Like, you were upfront and you were honest with me at the, from the very beginning about this. And now I'm changing my mind, right? That's kind of how, from a seller's perspective, I think what, what they would think if, if maybe something came up midway. So, um, again, just kind of think about that and just all your communications should be, should be humble and kind and honest and, and just upfront. Well, let me chime in here. So during these during these meetings, I love taking notes. So I think that um, you, you bring a notepad and, and you write things down. And then even if something that let's say strikes you like what you just said, Christy, like a two or three or five year plan. And that doesn't really resonate with you. What you're doing is just simply writing the notes down and just say, Hey, I understand your goals. Your goals are to have someone in the practice and they're working like two years, three years, four years, five years, or whatever it may be. And so instead of saying no, what you're just saying there is, I think it'd be important for us to sit down to line up our goals to make sure that they fit. Yeah. Right. In this case, you're already going, this is not going to work. But again, we're trying to get the yes. We're trying to get the yes. I want you. And then we can get into the details of how this is. This is all going to work out. It goes back to that. Those two doctors that I'm coaching with right now, they're not on the same page. Right. I see that. But you go back to that whole like and love uh, area, the love, love the area. And there's a trust factor. And again, he's married and she's from there. They live down the street. I mean, I can see it working, but I'm going to guarantee you that the buyers have to give a little bit. Sellers going to have to give a little to mm-hmm. make this uh, to make this whole process work. All right. So now we know not what not to do. Right. Let's talk about what to say. Yes. 
So the saying part. So let's just assume that we we've nailed the interview. Um, if this is let's let's have like a follow up plan. Yes, absolutely. So uh, again, we we've taken detailed notes on our interview. Um, email is fine, but absolutely critical on our first and second meetings. I want good old school handwritten thank you cards. Yep. Something meaningful with purpose. I don't mind having like a letter that you type out that's longer uh, in length. I just did this um, last night where I wrote a long letter with a bunch of handwritten thank yous to uh, to a group that I'm, I'm very appreciative of. And so, you know, I do this even as as an old guy. So you've got it. You got to do that. And then when you're in these, when you're in this meeting at the office, in this case, you're meeting staff. I mean, I need you to write down every staff member, something that you can connect with. So not only you're sending a thank you card back. Uh, to the doctor, but you're even sending a separate one that would go back, you know, to the group and the staff. It could be something simple like uh, $40 of flowers. Okay. Uh, it could be, um, you know, an edible, you know, cookie uh, bouquet or something. I, just something that that staff knows that you appreciate the time that um, they, they spent with you because I guarantee you that that staff has just as much influence on um the practice transitioning to you, not then that, more. if not yeah. more, then that doctor and staff. You're trying to get the family to basically bless that you are, um, you're the best person, uh, you know, for this for this practice. And for that senior doctor, or, you know, if it's a, uh, maybe you're from Texas and they're from Florida. Maybe you're picking out a Texas bottle of wine because they like wine. Not that we have great wine here in Texas. <laughs> something, you know, a six pack of craft beer is something. You're trying to connect with them and just do something that's small and thoughtful. This is especially important if it's like a competitive area or you're maybe no you're one of a bunch of people. I mean, you want to you want to set yourself apart. Everyone likes getting mail. Everyone likes thinking like, oh, you not only came here and heard me, but you remembered something and you put forth the effort to do this extra step, which goes a long, long, long way. We found. Yeah. You know, guys, if you're single, you know, this is how it works in the dating <laughs> world. You know, you see somebody that is totally out of your league. You know, typically she's just not going to walk up and say, hi, you know, she's completely out of your, you got to work it. You know, you've got to build a relationship and just pound on that door so many times until eventually she's like, oh, you look like a really nice guy. And so um, it's no different when you're in this interview process. You're trying to figure out, you know, how to knock down those barriers and make sure if there's four or five or six or 10 candidates that that practice absolutely sees you as the best possible candidate out of the group. And then, of course, thank you notes go with what I try to teach my children every day, which is manners go so, so far in this process. Yeah, it, it's simple stuff, Christy. I mean, it's just, it's just something mom and dad, you know, have taught you, but it's just the firm handshake, the looking in the eyes, you know, for a couple of seconds. Uh, it's just saying something, you know, nice to them. It's repeating their name back. It's just, it just respect, yeah, you know? Absolutely. I, I mentioned this earlier, but being honest, right? Like not exaggerating what yeah. you can do. Um, just being personal, not telling a fib about where you're from or any, your history or, Hey, I like racquetball too. When you don't like racquetball, <laughs> right? Like eventually <laughs> they're going to know you don't like racquetball. Um, yeah. so yeah. And, and then I think, you know, obviously we say not to talk about specifics, but you can absolutely talk about your philosophy and how you are as a clinician, right? Oh my God, uh, that that's an area where you're not going to get senior doctor to um, to stop talking. You know, they love talking about their kind of 30 year journey from they took courses one through four. They're the masters at this and that, and so um, this is a really good 
uh, area where I think you can get them to, to open up and uh, really kind of share kind of their clinical journey. I, I like asking questions like, you know, what are the clinical opportunities in the practice, things that maybe you have referred uh, out over the years. Maybe it's, it's a, um, a clinical course that either we could take together. Um, and, and during this process that we're kind of getting into interview maybe two and three, I like to use the words we. Okay, yeah. I want them to start to see that you're already thinking about this partnership or acquisition, this association, whatever. That it, this is a together thing now. Yeah. So you're starting to interweave that we word in there, and and you know things like what what are courses we could take? What are things that you see in the practice that potentially I could bring? You know, a value maybe mm-hmm. in my first or second year. You know, being uh, being in the practice, and so. Uh, I want to mention one other thing too. So when you're in this thing, we've, we've kind of knocked it out of the park. Part of this interview is you've got to understand. There's this is the top four things that this established doctor, you know, wants to wants to hear. Number one, they're looking for um, someone they can mentor. They've got thirty, typically forty years, even if it's ten years. They want somebody they can mentor, take all this knowledge and be able to share with others. They're looking to someone that they can transition their patients to either as an acquisition or in a partnership, they love their patients and they're looking for someone that they can transition uh, and basically take great care of them. Number three is they love their staff. And so they need someone that they can trust, someone Mm -hmm. that they really feel that this is, um, you know, when they're either not in the practice forever or on a a vacation, that's someone they know they can lead the team. And then ultimately they have built, you know, kind of those three combined as kind of like their legacy. Mm-hmm. And so one day they're going to be driving by this, this practice and, um, th- that's really their legacy yeah. and, and it's, it means so much. And so it's not just about how much you can get for the practice. I want this price or that price, but if you can understand how important those four things are to them and to use that and kind of, um, interwind that in the conversation, I'm telling you, you're absolutely going to uh, to connect with them. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, just we know this from working with buyers, especially in competitive situations, there'll be two, three, four people and they'll put in offers. And every now and then you'll get the seller where it's all about the price, right? Yep. But most times, even if you put in maybe a price that's not as competitive, but they like you more, that will pull them. And yeah. so we underestimate the value of all of this, the time and effort and just relationship that goes in because it is more than the price at the end of the day. I mean, these sellers have established themselves in the communities and their families are here and their children went to school here. And if they've done that well, they're going to continue to be in that community and they, right. they don't want... Hey, we sold my practice to Dr. Joe and, you know, he's run it into the ground and all the staff have left and the patients aren't happy. I mean, he doesn't want that. I believe so much in everything you've just said and kind of the goals and those four things are so, so important. Well, you know, the old guy here, so I've done this a really long time. Either I've been personally involved in these transitions or I've heard countless stories, literally hundreds of conversations where, you know, the senior doctor's got this amazing practice in their interview and the me, me, me guy or gal they're offering more than the asking price and the building and this but the established doctor chooses to go with the lesser price in this because they feel it's a better fit i mean just i cannot say it enough how important it is for you to connect with with uh with that doctor and listen to uh, those uh, top four things are really interested in so i want you to give us the kind of top five or six things um in closing kind of action plan like 
I'm going to find this opportunity. I'm going to interview. And how am I going to nail this interview? And kind of what's my plan? Yeah. So we, we hit on the purpose, right? That was really yep. important for Number us. One. So have a purpose of, of, of what you're doing. Uh, that plan of attack goes into kind of our, our interviews, kind of one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure that it's all about them during, you know, interview one. Uh, you're slowly interweaving the we's and the uh, kind of top four things that they're looking to hear. We've got our great follow-up game plan, you know, with all of the handwritten thank you cards. And you're, you're definitely making a connection to that process. You're obviously staying very humble and, you know, kind of knowing where you are mm-hmm. in, that, in that car, I think, is absolutely critical. So, yeah, I think that hits on our main topics we hit today. Good. And I honestly feel like these things, you know, humble and kindness and honesty and all of these plan of attack and a purpose, they're really life skills, to be honest with you. No like doubt. You can take all of these things and apply them everywhere, not just transitions. But thanks for joining us today. I really, really hope this was helpful. Um, I feel like we talk about this over and over again. So hopefully this will be a resource. If you're, if you're meeting with someone at 8 a.m. in the morning, then you can listen to this and hopefully kind of feel a little more prepared. We're going to post up some tips to the blog. Um, just kind of a summary here. So feel free to visit our website, www.nationaldentalplacements.com. Subscribe to Transition Talk and stay up to date. And uh, we will see you again next time. Adios. Adios. Adios.